This is Missing Persons Uncovered, where we uncover the depth and complexities of this global issue. Every year, millions of people go missing worldwide. I'm Karen Shalev-Green, a researcher specializing in missing persons at the University of Portsmouth, UK. And I'm Caroline Humer, a child protection expert. Across this series, we hope to raise awareness of this issue, discuss how societies can support vulnerable people better, and give you insights into how you can protect your community and family. As we explore in a number of episodes in this series, the reasons that lead people to go missing in real life are not accurately captured in film and television. So today we look at the wide range of reasons that people go missing, reasons that don't make it into the movies. Ache Even is the Secretary General of Missing Children Europe. Missing is really where you see the seams of society. It's, it's where you see what, what we can't really catch. It's, it's, it's really the gaps in our protection system and the gaps in, in our care system and in how we care for each other that we should be really mindful of. Because if you don't, if you're not mindful of those gaps and you don't try to close them as a society, they grow bigger. With a long career in child protection, Ache now leads the team at Missing Children Europe, assisting missing children, minors at risk of going missing and their families. We should mention that this particular episode references suicide and self-harm. Additionally, the data mentioned in relation to Ukraine and Russia are fluid as the situation changes day to day. Thankfully, forcible criminal abduction of children is rare, but that also means that the vast majority of cases aren't in the public consciousness. Ache talked to Karen about the uncomfortable terminology used in the most prevalent cases. There's a variety of reasons why children might go missing. A really important one being that they left home because they weren't feeling well, in some way, and that we then retroactively classify as runaways after the fact when you have established. Of course, when they go missing, you don't know why they go missing. And there might be a variety of reasons, but that's what we in the field have, have dubbed runaways. Uh, the term I know is, uh, is challenging in itself. There's a lot of stigma around it. And we just had a meeting with young people in a project with child participation, with people of experience of running away, talking about what shall we do with this term? We don't know yet, but for the time being, we don't have a better word and we call them runaways. And that's actually the majority of cases. I really want people to stop using it. The main reason is we don't allow children to drive until they're 18. We don't allow them to vote. We don't allow them to drink alcohol. We don't allow them to do a lot of things until they're 18. And the main reason is because we don't deem them responsible enough to do that. And yet, when it comes to missing, with all the extraordinary complex dynamics of life and human relationships around them, we expect them to navigate it and be responsible. And when you say the term runaway, it puts the onus of responsibility on the child. I think a lot of that is in about how running away comes with 
putting the responsibility on the child and then that easily being seen as some kind of a, a problem behavior, which is a huge issue because it's not a problem behavior. It's a behavior of children, yes, but it's behavior in response to something else and the something else is the real issue. And so it does detract that. It's a symptom and a red flag for issues uh, and a serious red flag. And that's what I found out having worked in children in institutions, children in a child protection system, children with mental health issues. It's the same target group that I'm still working on. And it's so challenging to find a different term or find a different way to, to talk about this group, which is very different from other groups. And I think that's that brings us back to the original question. What are the different ways in which children go missing when children run away? And I'm making quotation marks here. What are the main context they they run away from home school an institution and there's overrepresentation of children who live in institutions in terms of running away from home going missing is what we should be saying so missing is closely related to that missing children europe compiles annual data collections and Ache described some of the main reasons that children go missing in the most recent figures children running away make up 57 percent of all european cases with many reasons why they go missing. Mental health is a huge factor in it. The intention to commit suicide is also a huge factor in that. It's one of the reasons why children go missing in this particular way, by their own decision or as a response to something else that's going happen, circumstances. Then you have about 25%, one-fourth of cases are children that are abducted by a parent, and then we call it an abduction. But what it really is, is that the parent takes the child to a country where it doesn't normally reside. So usually international couples, family breaks down. And in the past, we would often see that the parent who didn't have custody, usually the father, would abduct the child because they wanted to see the child. They didn't have access or they didn't feel they had enough access. And what we see changing now is that as custody laws have changed and more couples have a joint custody. You'll see that women more often have followed their husband. In the cases of heterosexual couples, you'll often see that the women have followed the husband to their country of residence. And when the family breaks down, they want to be closer to their own family for moral support and for emotional support. And then we'll take the children to their home country, which is not the habitual residence of the child, as we call it in the terminology. And that then constitutes an international abduction. And so that's one reason a uh, very important reason, particularly across borders, why children go missing. And then you have what we call lost, injured, otherwise missing. It's very difficult to make the difference between them and the runaways, particularly also when they go missing, you shouldn't be making a difference. It's all concerning. It's all equally concerning. And there's a very fine line between what is lost, injured and what is a runaway. So I think that's where the lines get very fluid and, and very uh, difficult to discern. But lost, injured, otherwise missing is about 10% still. And then we have, particularly in Europe, what we call children in migration. These are children who come to Europe who are not originally born here, who come to Europe in search of a better life, safety first and foremost, opportunities and education could be different things. They have been registered at some point in one of the countries and then decide or happen to go missing or are convinced to go missing. And they're at very high risk of trafficking, of smuggling. So it's a very challenging situation. And the system doesn't work for them. And so about 18,000 of them went missing in the last three years, between 2018 and 2020. And that was just data for only 10 countries. So that's a huge group as well. 
and very much at risk because they don't have legal ways to travel. So they, they have to rely on smugglers, they have to rely on traffickers. Legal travel takes such a very long time, might be very hard. I want to also go through the adults. And one of the point of contention, I guess, that we face is what is an adult? <laughs> because legally, in most countries, according to the UN, it is the age of 18 where we make that legal transition from a child to an adult. Obviously, developmentally, it's very different. And any of us listening that recall ourselves at 18, we were not necessarily the most astute and responsible and adult in our behavior. Hands down, the most common reason why people go missing as adults is mental health. You see it with a variety of mental disorders, anything from depression to bipolar to schizophrenia to any other illnesses. And again, when we think about that transition age, we know that most mental health disorders start to show or symptomatic at adolescence or early 20s. And again, when you are at an onset of an illness or if you are depressed, how much of a decision is that to go away? So if you are sick because it's an illness and you then go away, shouldn't we be responsible then to look after you, to bring you back to safety? The second big factor is dementia. There's a number out there that about 40, 50 million people across the world have dementia. And there's another set of research that discusses the likelihood of people with dementia going missing. And some author has said it, anyone who is mobile and has dementia has the potential of going missing. Then you have a group that is not well known outside of the UK necessarily. We call it missing on a night out. So you have a group of 18 to 25 year olds that go out, they drink, party, alcohol plays a big part of it, possibly drugs, and they're not completely coherent. They leave their friends, and we see it a lot with males because women tend to go home in groups or at least couple, whereas young men part off their group. And they are very, very vulnerable to come to harm. They fall off bridges, they end up in water, they suffer from hypothermia, depending on the time of year. We also have the lost, injured individuals. We have also political reasons, and I think we don't talk about that anywhere near enough. We call it enforced disappearances. It's more common in South American countries, in other countries. Well, I, th I think our entire job changed uh, on February 24th with the war in Ukraine. Ukraine has a hotline, 116000, that normally has about 250 or 300 cases a year. We've now had 2,200 in three months. And that doesn't include the forced displacements of children where the numbers are way, way higher. So I think the, a government representative who has looked into that reported quite a high number. I think it was more than 100,000 children who were forced displaced since 2014, because of course for them the war began in 2014 with the invasion of Crimea. 
Very recently, two children were brought back through a lot of diplomacy, but that's two children out of more than 100,000 cases. So yeah, that's definitely something we're seeing. The majority of the, the 2,000 cases I was talking about are related to people losing contact because of damage to the infrastructure. So a war brings a whole type of different missing cases. It's damage to the infrastructure, it's chaos, it's not knowing who's gone where. We had one girl who was in Poland with her aunt who saw herself on, on a publicity appeal website because her parents were in the other village and, and they lost contact somehow. So they were very glad to find each other. So losing contact is a big reason. You have a lot of family conflict about shall we flee the war or not? And then you have a lot of teenagers deciding, I don't want to be here, I'm afraid of the war, and going abroad where parents want to keep them around or have other responsibilities. So we do see that. But unfortunately, also a lot of people who are likely injured or who might have been killed, and we won't find out for the next several years until people can come in and go in with DNA analysis of the unidentified body. So it really becomes a very different type of, a very sad type of work where usually in most of the cases of missing children, that's the good news. More than 80% of cases, almost 90% of cases, it ends well. People are found and usually found safe and sound, of course, with trauma and, and everything that comes around it, the issues they already had. But, you know, communities tend to care for children and children do pop up again. But in this war, it's completely different. And we know that the majority of those cases might not end well. So it's completely changed. So in times of war, people go missing for entirely different reasons. Mental health issues are the number one reason for both children and adults going missing. Ache explained that the term mental health problems covers a particularly wide range of challenges. Mental health problems covers a lot of things. It could be that there are problems at home and that leads to mental health problems and that then leads them to go away. They want to be alone. They want to close off or they might have a conflict at home because their behavior changes. All of the things you mentioned earlier, depression could be a reason intention to commit suicide if the depression has been going on for quite some time. What we definitely also already see in teenagers is bipolar, definitely something that can lead to a child going missing. What we see a lot more in recent years is cutting, harming themselves and, and perhaps to go missing for this reason or self-medication. So they'll use drugs and alcohol as part of self-medication to feel better because there's a big taboo around mental health issues. Uh, so that might be a reason why that would lead to going missing. What we see less is, is psychosis that usually happens a little bit later in life, but still the signs are there 10 years before it really comes to the surface. So again, there might be behavior that's somewhat different from others and, and that might lead children to feel pushed away or that might make them feel like they do not want to be amongst their peers. And so I guess also peer pressure is a separate reason amongst our catification, but it all ties in together. I don't think you can separate any of these problems out. I think everything feeds into each other. If you have a difficult home situation, your mental health isn't going to be well. There will be a taboo around mental health issues, or you might not get the support that you need around this. If your parents pick this up, then they can help you with it. But if they have their own issues, if they use alcohol themselves, then they might not be supporting you. So it is very much, a, what we see is a very much a different complex problems around child protection, around child health and child well-being that all tie together. I also want to highlight that there's groups within the missing community where there would be what we call them pushaways, where actively the environment pushes them out 
for example, people with LGBTQ community and the coming out process is difficult as it is. But if you have communities that are very antagonistic to it or household and parents that just don't accept you and then push children out, that's another reason for it. Absolutely. It's it's a very important reason. And from what we see in research in the US and in the UK, a large portion of the homeless population is LGBTQ or identifies as LGBTQ. However, looking at it from the missing children perspective, it's very hard to get that in our data. We ask the question and it's almost never reported. There's very few hotlines who report, oh, this child went missing because it felt pushed away as part of the coming out process. We have one every year. And sometimes it will be a child coming out or sometimes it will be a child that's transgender and in the data that we have. And that's the, the conundrum there because we know it must... In the US, it's 20 to 40% of children who are homeless, who are in the streets, who felt pushed away because the environment was not supportive of LGBTQ. And if you look at Europe and the backlash against LGBTQ rights, particularly in certain parts of Europe at the moment, we know it must be the case here as well. It comes up in the case studies when you ask hotlines about particular cases, when you invite children to participate and talk about their experiences of going missing, you'll see that a significant portion of these cases are LGBTQ children, but it's not recorded. The box isn't ticked. That's a whole issue in itself. Children in the care sector also make up a disproportionate number of missing people. Whilst a parent with a missing child might ring around friends and perhaps conduct a small search before reporting them missing, care homes and other institutions will often call the authorities immediately. Ache points out that the reasons for this aren't as obvious as might first appear. So there's definitely overrepresentation of children going missing from care homes across Europe, but not for the reasons that you mentioned. It's also because their mental health is worse because they have conflicts in the care home because they miss their family. One of the main reasons why they go missing, because we ask for reasons why they go missing, depending on where they disappear from. And so running away from home, it's a period of heightened conflict of tension, a climate of violence, abuse or neglect. In running away from the care institution, it's again periods of heightened conflict. So it's usually after a period of conflict and tension. But on number two, it's desire to rejoin their family. So that's a really important reason for them as well. If they moved to the other part of the country and they miss home, they miss their boyfriend, they miss, you know, girlfriend, whoever. They're reported missing it rather than calling the boyfriend and that might lead because there is this stigma around running away being a problem behavior and these children are already in a care institution so often already stigmatized and that then leads into more stigma and and very bad experiences with authorities distrust in authorities which makes them more vulnerable again so it's it really part of a cycle that, that's very unhealthy for them and there must be a balance between reporting them right away after one minute and and really criminalizing them and like not caring for them at all. It's about having caring communities, I think. It's, it's what we do for children, bring them back home. That's what, as a society, we're supposed to do for children, but apparently not for certain types of children, certain children who've already been stigmatized. And that, that's a very concerning issue, again, around these LGBTQ kids or children of color who might not be addressed in the same way or cared for in the same way as a white blonde girl who might have been abducted, where we're all very worried. And I think that's something that's concerning as well. 
And how does going missing look like in the overall view of society? Missing is really where you see the seams of society. It's, it's where you see what, what we can't really catch. It's, it's, it's really the gaps in our protection system and the gaps in, in our care system and in how we care for each other that we should be really mindful of. Because if you're not mindful of those gaps and you don't try to close them as a society, they grow bigger. And, and that's what they tend to do. I wanted to ask about any cultural differences that you see across Europe. Oh, I, I think, for example, in the term runaways that we discussed and, and how that doesn't exist in some languages or in other languages is very stigmatized and in some languages much less so, how you can destigmatize it by framing it in another way in certain languages and not in other languages, as we were discussing just last week with these kids from four different countries. And in Dutch, they had their ways to deal with it. But the Italians and the Greeks said it was for them, it was very different. If you look at LGBTQ, I think that's definitely something that in certain countries, the situation is likely much better and that's much more support than in other countries. And ironically, those will be the countries where you'll have the most reports because people don't feel that it's so taboo that they wouldn't ask about it or that they would not put down the tick the box. There's the issue that we discussed before when, when you were just talking about grooming and about, you know, gangs targeting children institutions grooming them to be part of their ring, what we call county lines in the UK. That word is completely unknown in the rest of Europe. People don't know what it is, even though it does exist and it does happen. County lines is when a gang effectively grooms children and sometimes very young children, nine, 10 year olds, to move. In many cases, it's to move drugs as drug mules or traffickers around different counties because what they understood is that when you move these geographical borders that we assign randomly, effectively, between counties and municipal areas, then they get more anonymized and there's far less consistency in how law enforcement will then deal with it. So they move them around and it's a, a different way of saying trafficking, but it's for the purpose of moving between counties and those borders to facilitate much more room for maneuver and exploitation. I, I think as I was saying in a previous seminar where we discussed this, what I probably think is that children in migration are very vulnerable to that particular type of grooming and, and, and smuggling and trafficking because they are trying to get across borders And therefore, smugglers and traffickers will try to move them together with drugs across borders. And so that is definitely a group that's very vulnerable to this, but we don't know the term at all. And so are not so sensitive to that type of thing happening, even though we're quite sure that this probably does exist and, and happens across Europe. So those are some of the differences. I think also, for example, in the Nordic countries, the hotlines are all run by the police, whereas in the southern countries, it's mainly NGOs. Trust in the police is very different in, in different countries. And also the role of civil society and trust between police and civil society is very different in different countries. And so you'll see that in the Nordic countries, there's no felt need for the hotlines to be run by NGOs because there's more trust in the police. You'll see that in Belgium, for example, there's a lot of trust between the NGO and the police that, that does the work. And in that, some other countries, they've managed that as well. But then there's other countries where civil society isn't very strong and it's very much a police issue, but not the highest priority. And NGOs struggle very hard to kind of put the issue on the agenda where there might not even be something like a child alert in cases where a child is abducted or in high danger because it, it has the intention to commit suicide. And they don't even have a child alert system and don't see the need for it. And then 
as you mentioned earlier, a, a very big difference across different countries as well is like, what do we do with 18 to 25 year olds who are vulnerable? There's a, a few countries where the hotlines also take cases up to 25 in France and Belgium and Greece, they do that. And then in a lot of other countries, that's just not an option or it's just too much work or they're just not strong enough yet to do it. But that is something that's starting to happen more and more. Missing Children Europe coordinates the network of 116,000 hotlines as part of its work. If you're unfamiliar or unaware, Ache explains. The concept is that it's one number that you can call anywhere that you're in Europe uh, as a service to European citizens, because if you go missing, you might go missing across borders or your child might go missing while you're on holiday. It's a service to European citizens who have free movement, that this number is the same across all of the different countries. What the hotlines do, it's a, a free 24-7 service in the language of the country and in English. And it's manned by professionals who support parents or who you, they take reports of children who go missing work of course with the police in those cases and we'll also make sure at first the police report is made they have a memorandum of understanding with the police and what they do and what they don't do and who does what and that's different in every country and their main aim is to support parents and children in navigating relationships with authorities in a case of missing because it can be a complex web to navigate depending on what type of case it is a parental abduction takes very long can be very difficult to navigate if a child has been abducted criminally, that's a very difficult situation for the parents. Or if it's a long-term missing case and they don't know what the issue is, there's a lot of emotional support needed for those parents, which the police can't give. Sometimes they decide together with the police, whether it's uh, opportune to do a publicity appeal, yes or no. Some of them might have search and rescue teams of volunteers who help with the search itself. They'll often have volunteers who put up posters and who also take them down again after the child has been found. So various types of, of roles that they might take in, in those types of things as well. So supporting the police if the police wants to, but the main aim is supporting parents and supporting children if there's a risk of missing in any type of missing case. So thank you very, very much. It's been really insightful and hopefully helpful for those who are listening to us. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Missing Persons Uncovered. Next time, we'll be joined by Charlie Hedges to discuss the process of reporting someone as missing. If you'd like to find out more about our work and any resources we mention in the show, you can go to missingpersonsuncovered.com. But if you'd like specific information, need help, or have been affected by any of the issues covered in this episode, please reach out to your local police department or national charity. I'm Karen Shalev-Green. And I'm Caroline Humer. Thanks for listening to Missing Persons Uncovered. We'll speak again next time. This episode was brought to you by the University of Portsmouth. You can find out more about how their research is changing our world for the better and supporting projects like this at port.ac.uk slash research.